Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Emily Bosco. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. And change the world. Aspirations. Yeah. I think more podcasts should be aspirational. Yeah, I have like, very lofty ambitions today. You know, not we're I I don't want to present we should stop presenting this as a podcast about what it is mm-hmm. and turn it into present it as a podcast about what we want it to be. You, you know, dress for the job you want. That's what they say. Yeah. Manifest yeah, yeah. it. We don't <laughs> we don't sit around doing mediocre audiobook style readings of short stories in the public domain, we change the world. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) You know what it is? You know what it is? The temperature's a little warmer today, so I'm feeling very positive and optimistic today. (laughs) Oh, nice. That's fun. And I spent the morning uh, nannying these adorable little kids in the town over. So I'm just like, I don't know, I'm full of childish glee today because they're just really (laughs) cute kids. And it's like my favorite way besides acting to make a book. Good. (laughs) They are so cute. I I was uh, very sad when my family moved from Jersey to Connecticut because I nannied for these other kids in New Jersey for a, a full year. And I loved them so much. They are my children. Um, and I was very sad to leave them. But then when I got here, I was so happy because I found two more kids who were like just adorable in their own ways. And today, the main uh, the main thing on the docket was first it was playing outside on their little jungle gym. And then the game beep came. I was the owner and they were both doggies. They're four and six. So they're very into like puppy play. So they were like, we're your dogs and you're our owner and you have to like tell us to do stuff. And I was like, okay. So first it was like, you know, puppies whining. What does puppy want? Does puppy want a bowl of water? And they'd be like, ooh, ooh, ooh. does puppy want food? Ooh, ooh, ooh. And it always ended up that the puppies wanted to drive my car and crash it into the ocean. That was the game today. That is weirdly specific. Um, Is this the same kid who was obsessed with the Titanic for a while? You are 100% correct. All right. I'm sensing a theme of crashing into the ocean. Right. I think he's got like ocean voyages on the brain because I'd be like, I'd sit in the front of the the play set or like on the edge of the slide and be like, okay, now I'm driving the doggies to the vet because I guess they need medicine because they keep whining and like nothing is making them happy. And then he's like, now pretend, and they'll like give me instructions, you know, they'll be like, now pretend that, that the dog pushed you over and now he's in the driver's seat and, and then he's driving. And I said, okay, whoa, <laughs> the dog pushed me over and now he's in the driver's seat. And he'd be like, and then pretend that I drove into the ocean. So I go, whoa, he drove into the ocean. It's mostly just me repeating the things that they say, you know? <laughs> sure. Right, right, right. It was really funny and really cute. They got such a kick out of the idea of a dog driving my car into the ocean multiple times that they quote unquote crashed four of my cars over the course of the couple of hours that I was babysitting wow. them. <laughs> uh, it was really th- cute. These, these sound like um future like serialized television writers here. Dude, I swear I would not be surprised or engineers because everything is like then the hull of the ship is this and the I mean all the different parts. Well of if the you boat, could turn if just... they could turn that car into a car that a a dog could drive right and b would survive a trip into the ocean yeah yeah that'd be a pretty damn good engineer <laughs> i have high hopes for them uh and i love them very much so i had a good morning <laughs> cool what about you uh, i i ran across something really interesting today that i want to sort of this dear listener hi listeners <laughs> how you doing <laughs> oh yeah we're deep um, we're deep in now we're chitty chatting yeah. away um, so this, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give sort of a, a little bit of a promo, but I want to preface this by saying this is a non-sponsored, unsolicited promotional for something that I ran across on Twitter, uh, while I was out trying to promote this podcast. And I just think it's fantastic and I need to share about it. Great. You just moved to speak. This is for a game 
uh, like a video game that is not yet released. It is uh, currently set to be released this coming March 14th. It is a game called Right and Fight. And that's right and like N is just the letter N, like rock and roll, right mm. and fight. And it is a game that's sort of a Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, whichever your jam is, style fighting game. But the characters are writers like William Shakespeare, Alexander Dumas, Ernest oh. Hemingway, Tolstoy, Dickens, Lovecraft. The The home arenas are all based on those writers' literature. So there's like a spooky graveyard, there's a castle, there's a pub, and they all have different powers and like different ways of fighting. Um, Dumas, because he's most famous, for um, uh, writing The Three Musketeers. His distance attack, his ranged attack, is throwing wine bottles at his enemy. Oh my God, this is so cute. Um, <laughs> Ernest Hemingway appears to be kind of the bruiser of the group because his animation looks like a kind of jacked, shirtless Santa Claus. <laughs> um, meanwhile, H.P. Lovecraft looks sort of like a vampire who's cosplaying as the DC character Constantine. Uh, seriously, this game looks... Super cool. Again, it's set to release in like um, three weeks or so. Uh, and if this sounds like a thing that that you, listener, would be into, it's uh, right and fight. You can just Google it and find what you find. But I ran across it. They have a couple of videos of like sample gameplay up. It looks fun and ridiculous. And I just, I... I love it. I think it's absurd. That is really up the listeners' alleys, hopefully. And again, they like I have reached out to make sure it's okay that I talk about their game on the <laughs> podcast. This is not a solicited sponsorship or anything. I just think it looks <laughs> wild. <laughs> Good to know. Oh, okay. <sighs> Puzzle update. All right. Ooh, all right. So this is this is Puzzle Watch. More riveting. February 22nd, <laughs> 2022. Part of me is like, is is this entire like podcast listener base just just orally witnessing my like downward spiral into middle age? Like this is <laughs> this puzzle update is the most exciting thing happening in my life right now, but so be it. Um so as predicted, and now I can't remember if it was Ken who said Lucy was gonna take a piece. And I was like, no, she's really good. Or if it was the opposite, but whoever said it, this dog for sure took two pieces, my friends, two pieces. I finished the entire puzzle and there were two blank spaces. So I said to myself, self, I'm going to buy that puzzle again and I'm just going to sift through and find those two pieces. Okay. So I buy the puzzle <laughs> again from a, a big evil corporation. It's very convenient that I hate that I bought it from, but whatever. That's what I did. Got it. Sure. That, N- that, not saying that, that name, but that online monopoly that just delivers stuff to yeah, your door. I'm ashamed. Yeah. To, I'm ashamed to say, but I did that, and it came, and I said, "Mom, we're doing it." And now she's very invested in this journey. So she and I are sitting there, <laughs> we're sifting through these pieces for the edge of a cheetah foot because that was the piece that was missing. There are little cheetahs if you look online at the photo, and we just needed a little piece of the cheetah foot, and we're sifting through, sifting through, and my mom goes, "Emily," and I'm like, "Yeah." And she's like, are you sure that every puzzle isn't cut differently? So all the pieces are individual for each puzzle? And I said, no, mom, no, there's no way. It's got to be like an automated machine. Like, you know, every puzzle's got to have, you know, all different pieces, but every puzzle's got to have the same pieces, right? Wrong, wrong, my friends. Every puzzle is uniquely (laughs) cut. So we looked in that puzzle and this cheetah's foot is on a whole different shaped piece, which means in order to have the full plant shelfy puzzle, I have to go do it all again with the new puzzle. And this time I have to make sure that I don't lose a single piece, which is going to be hard because I still have a puppy. So (laughs) So these are are like bespoke cut puzzles. Correct. So I don't. my friends so um i am not going to be able to deliver the completed photo to you as soon as i would have hoped but this time as god is my witness i'm going to finish the puzzle and i am going to send you a picture of this completed puzzle and i'm not going to lose one piece and i told my mom if i do this whole thing and honestly i don't really care because i was kind of sad when i finished it i was like oh it's over i like doing this puzzle (laughs) so i don't mind doing it again (laughs) but if i do this same image a second time and i'm still missing a piece from that one 
I'm going to take it outside and put it in my fire pit and just burn it in effigy and just be like, goodbye, puzzle. I release you. You were never meant to be done in this home. And uh, that'll be that. So I'm embarking on a new adventure tonight. I'm doing it again. So I, I approve of that plan. However, I think before you burn it, what you should do is if both puzzles are missing a piece, mm-hmm. presumably it won't be a piece in exactly the same place. Nope. Just go in and cut out the portion of the picture that would fit <laughs> into the missing piece of the other puzzle and yeah. lay it over so that at the very least you can get a picture of the completed image. Okay, I will, I will, you yeah. burn it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll do that because it, it won't fit nicely enough in that I would want to, you know, shellac it and put it on my wall and do the whole thing that I'm planning to do with this puzzle. But I do, <laughs> the listeners have waited long enough and I want you to have a photo of this thing, if not completed, then 99.9% completed. So yes, don't at worry. The, at the very least. You'll, finished, you'll, yeah. you'll get the image, but I can't, I can't send you the one that's currently sitting on my bedroom floor because it's so sad. There's these two gaping white holes and I just I can't in good conscience give that to you I care about you too much uh, something about something about nobody likes a gaping white hole oh snap you took it there on something as wholesome as puzzles Dang. <laughs> Kenneth um, so that's me Anyway, anyway. Uh, this is Campfire Classics, um, not Puzzle a talk. podcast about puzzles, although you wouldn't know it to tune in the last few weeks, not a podcast about promoting other people's video games, and not even a <laughs> Baby Watch podcast. This is a literary comedy podcast where your hosts take turns every week reading stories that have been found from the public domain. We read them sight unseen, which means you hear us struggle through figuring out what this story is about the same time you're figuring it out. Uh, And we attempt voices and accents and occasionally have to look up words that we've never seen before or, you know, make inappropriate sex jokes about things that maybe weren't sex jokes back when the story was written 160 years ago or whatever. Penis, penis, Uh, penis. So this week I have selected a story for Emily to read. But before we get to that, I'm going to give just a little bit of background, some some fun facts to get you in the mood for listening to the story. So this week, Emily... You will be reading a story by an author that this podcast has covered before. Uh, Regular listeners will know him as Sir Johnny Bangs. Uh, He's known to the rest of the world as John Kendrick Bangs. Uh, If you want an extensive info background on him, you can check out Season 2, Episode 1 of Campfire Classics, entitled Sir Johnny Bangs. But basically, he was a humorist and author from New York in the late 19th and early 20th century. His brother was a lawyer named Francis Bangs or Frankie Bangs Jr. And sometimes he had a mustache and sometimes he didn't. Those are really the majority of the important things that you need to know about John Bangs. Um, But the story that Emily will be reading today is from a collection of short stories by John Kendrick Bangs called Our Holmes and Company Being the Remarkable Adventures of Raffles Holmes Esquire Detective and Amateur Cracksman by Birth. That's uh, quite a title. Is the name of the book. Amateur Cracksman? Cracksman, yes. Um, Cracksman is a sort of term for um, thief. Like safe cracker. Got it. Yeah. Uh, So a little backstory on this book and the characters we're going to meet. Uh, Our Holmes and Company, as it's titled for short, without that whole lengthy secondary title, um, was Bangs's second spin-off sequel story collection to a popular series of stories about a character named A.J. Raffles. A.J. Raffles was a gentleman thief created by author E.W. Hornung, who was the brother-in-law of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Okay. Raffles is often considered an inversion of Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. 
Holmes has Dr. Watson, who accompanies him and writes his stories. Raffles has Barry Bunny Manders, a former schoolmate who he saves from disgrace and then persuades to come along with him on burglaries and write down his stories. Um, Raffles is a gentleman thief. Holmes is a detective. They are both masters of disguise. Um. So these stories all sound fascinating, the the original A.J. Raffles, but unfortunately they are way too long for our format. Uh, So enter Raffle Holmes. Uh, You can probably guess what this guy's deal is based on the little bit I've given you, but since the story you'll be reading is actually the first major story about Raffle Holmes, uh, you're not going to need much backstory. That said... Before this story in the book, there is a brief introductory chapter, which I thought about just tagging onto the front of this, but it would make the story a little too long, and it's not engaging enough to be its own thing, so I'm going to summarize it quick before we jump in. Great. A man named Jenkins is sitting at home smoking. Uh, Jenkins is our narrator. Jenkins is sitting at home smoking when an intruder breaks in. The intruder claims to have called Jenkins' butler away to Philadelphia so he knows that they are alone. The intruder introduces himself as Raffles Holmes, son of Sherlock Holmes and grandson of A.J. Raffles. He then offers to tell the story of the time that Holmes was called in to deal with a Raffles crime so long as Jenkins will take notes and write the story truthfully, a thing that Watson and Bunny were both never capable of doing. Jenkins agrees, and so begins the adventure of the Dorrington Ruby Seal, (gasps) the story you will be reading. So that's what we're diving into. Um, I have no idea what this is going to be, but it sounded entertaining. So None. let's give it a shot. I love it. All right. It. Let's start this fire. The Adventure of the Dorrington Ruby Seal by John Kendrick Banks. Lord Dorrington, as you may have heard, said Raffles Holmes, leaning back in my easy chair and gazing reflectively up at the ceiling was chiefly famous in England as a sporting peer. His vast estates in five counties were always open to any sportsman of renown or otherwise, as long as he was a true sportsman. So open indeed was the house that he kept, that whether he was there or not, little weekend parties of members of the sporting fraternity used to be got up at a moment's notice to run down to Dorrington Castle, Devonshire, to Dorrington Lodge on the Isle of Wight, to Dorrington Hall near Dublin, or to any other country place for over Sunday. All right, so this guy's uh, got lots of fancy lots. friends, and he likes to party on the weekends. He got one, two, three, he got four houses. Okay, okay. Must be nice. Sometimes there'd be a lot of turf people. <laughs> what are turf people? <laughs> Commoners? Peasants? <laughs> uh, probably turf people, like dirt people. Yeah, dirt people, yeah. Hey, so, hey you, dirt boy. <laughs> Sometimes there'd be a lot of turf, turf people. people. Hang on, I'm looking it up. The only thing I find looking for turf people is like um, companies that will deal with your lawn. Ooh. Turf people. Mm, well, maybe um, that is if they're like, what, playing cricket out on the lawn or something? They're, they've got people attending to the lawn, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Let's find uh, although out. it also, informal British, the verb turf is to force someone to leave somewhere. The the uh, example is they were turfed off the bus. Oh, yeah. They were thrown off, forced off the bus. Yeah. So, I don't hmm. know. Maybe that'll... Context clues. Let's see. We'll find out. Sometimes there'd be a lot of turf people. Sometimes a dozen or more devotees of the prize ring. Not infrequently, a gathering of the best-known cricketers of the time, among whom, of course, my grandfather, A.J. Raffles, was conspicuous. For the most part, the cricketers never partook of Dorrington's hospitality, save when his lordship was present, for your cricket player is a bit more punctilious in such matters than your turfmen or ringside habitués. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 
It so happened one year, however, that his lordship was absent from England for the better part of eight months, and when the time came for the annual cricket gathering at his Devonshire place, he cabled his London representative to see to it that everything was carried on just as if he were present, and that everyone should be invited for the usual week's play and pleasure at Dorrington Castle. His instructions. I really wish I understood cricket more, because it is such mm. a confusing game. <laughs> like it looks kind of like it might sort of be related to baseball, yeah. except that they like they go out in their all white jumpers and they take tea breaks. And yeah. near as I can tell, the game doesn't end until someone goes, "Well, I'm done." Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I. I have never had a, a curiosity about it. Although now that you say it, I'm like, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. His instructions were carried out to the letter, and save for the fact that the genial host was absent, the house part went through to perfection. My grandfather, as usual, was the life of the occasion, and all went merry as a marriage bell. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I could use that. Merry as a marriage bell. Merry as a marriage bell. Hey, Emily, how you feeling today? Oh, merry as a marriage bell. And yourself. <laughs> I do feel I have to do it in an RP accent, though. That's, I can't. Oh. Yeah, I can't yeah, just say no, it. No, it has to be, it has to be merry as a marriage merry bell. Merry as it a marriage. Be, oh, yeah, yeah. Merry as a marriage bell. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's not for filthy Americans. Although, <laughs> although, if it's a little like, oh, you know, merry as a marriage bell, like a little folksy, you go that little sort of works. McConaughey with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That kind of works. Mary's marriage bell. Yeah. Got. And then, seven months later, Lord Dorrington returned. And a week after that, the loss of the Dorrington jewels from the Devonshire strong boxes was a matter of common knowledge. <gasps> Somebody stole the jewels during this party. When I or wonder by if it's going to be the famous thief who's at the party. <laughs> right. When or by whom they had been taken was an absolute mystery. As far as anybody could find out, they might have been taken the night before his return or the night after his departure. The only fact in sight was that they were gone. Lady Dorrington's diamonds, a half dozen valuable jeweled rings belonging to his lordship, and, most irremediable of losses, the famous ruby seal which George IV had given to Dorrington's grandfather, Sir Arthur Deering, as a token of his personal esteem during the period of the Regency. This was a flawless ruby, valued at some six or seven thousand pounds sterling, in which had been cut the Deering arms surrounded by a garter, upon which were engraved the words Deering Tun, which the family, upon Sir Arthur's elevation to the peerage in 1836, took as its title, or Dorrington. Oh, Deerington, oh. Dorrington. Oh, Dorrington. That's, that's where they got their name. I'm, Ooh. I'm only a little disappointed because there was a, a significant part of me hoping that this was going to be a mystery about a seal, the animal or, or, carved out of ruby. Or, 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 or yeah. That had got like a cute little statue. <laughs> oh, this see, makes more sense. A sea puppy. A sea puppy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would have been more fun, but alas. It's just an expensive rock. <laughs> His lordship was almost prostrated by the loss. The diamonds and the rings, although valued at £30,000, he could easily replace. <laughs> oh, must be nice. But the personal associations of the seal was... Uh, well, now now I only think about... <laughs> arr, arr, arr. <laughs> Yeah, some some asshole came in and stole his pet seal. My little cutie. Oh. And little whiskers. <laughs> but the personal associations of the seal were such that nothing, no amount of money, could duplicate the lost ruby. So that his first act, I broke in breathlessly, was to send for Sherlock Holmes, my father, said Raffles Holmes. Yes, Mr. Jenkins, the first thing Lord Dorrington did was to... I love that the narrator is like a fanboy. He's like, oh my God, wait, did, did, did Sherlock Holmes go? Oh my God, oh my God, I can't wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so um, in, in that little introductory story I talked about, he actually, he's he's like, wait, you're... Holmes, you're the son of Sherlock Holmes. Oh my God, he's yeah. so incredible. And then he's and then uh, Raffles is like, well, then you might have heard of my grandfather, A.J. Raffles. And he goes, <gasps> if ever anything has been written about him, I assure you, I have read it. Oh my God, so cute. He's a fanboy, <laughs> and he like has yeah. the direct lineage in front of him. 
Yes, Mr. Jenkins, the first thing Lord Dorrington did was to telegraph to London for Sherlock Holmes, requesting him to come immediately to Dorrington Castle and assume charge of the case. Needless to say, Mr. Holmes dropped everything else and came. He inspected the gardens, measured the road from the railway station to the castle, questioned all the servants, was particularly insistent upon knowing where the parlour maid was on the 13th of January. <laughs> Always blaming the maids. Come on, she's just trying to make a living. <laughs> I don't trust parlor maids. Dang. Sexist. <laughs> Secured accurate information. I would be just I would be just as untrusting of a parlor would it be master? Manservant? I don't know. <laughs> parlor Well, I mean butlers. I am just as untrusting of butlers okay. as I am of parlor maids. Gotcha, gotcha. It's um, always either the butler or the parlor maid. I mean, they do it, know, it just, like, they is. run they run the house. The rich person doesn't everything. actually run the house. Yeah, it's true. They got the keys to every room. Um, uh, secured accurate information as to the personal habits of his lordship's doctioned Nicholas. <laughs> He's questioning the hot dog? Oh, I love that it's named Nicholas. Oh, I want a hot dog named Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> Subjected the chef to a cross-examination that covered every point of his life, <laughs> from his remote ancestry to his receipt for baking apples, gathered up three suitcases of sweeping from his lordship's private apartment, and two... Oh, damn, he's inspecting the lint? Oh, my God. Yep. He's very thorough. And two boxes containing three each of every variety of cigars that Lord Dorrington had laid down in his cellar. As you are aware... Sherlock Holmes, in his prime, was a great master of detail. He then departed for London, taking with him an impression in wax of the missing seal, which Lord Dorrington happened to have preserved in his escritoire. Wow. Okay. It's a fun word. Escritoire? Yeah, escritoire. That's a fun I, word. I assume um, it has something to do, like, it's his writing desk. Desk, yeah, right? Because in Spanish um, it would be escritorio. It just seems too close to not be the same thing. Ah, yes. A small writing desk with yeah. drawers and compartments. Escritoire. Nice. On his return to London, Holmes inspected the seal carefully under a magnifying glass and was instantly impressed with the fact that it was not unfamiliar to him. He had seen it somewhere before, but where? That was now the question uppermost in his mind. Prior to this, he had never had any communication with Lord Dorrington, so that if it was in his correspondence that the seal had formerly come to him, most assuredly the person who had used it had come by it dishonestly. Fortunately, yeah, scandal. Fortunately, at that time, it was in a Bohemia. habit of... Huh? <laughs> I said in Bohemia. A scandal in Bohemia is a Sherlock Holmes story. You said a scandal. I said in Bohemia. It, huh? I was... There I was go. being I was being lit clever. <laughs> lit clever. Fortunately, at that time, it was a habit of my father's never to destroy papers of any sort. Every letter that he ever received was classified and filed, envelope and all. The thing to do then was manifestly to run over the files and find the letter, if indeed it was in or on a letter that the seal had first come to his attention. It was a Herculean job, but that never fazed Sherlock Holmes, and he went at it tooth and nail. Finally, his effort was rewarded. Under Applications for Autograph, he found a daintily scented little missive from a young girl living at Goring Streetly on the Thames, the daughter, she said, of a retired missionary, the Reverend James Tattersby. <laughs> That's a fun name. The I Reverend like English names. <laughs> I know. James Tattersby asking him if he would not kindly write his autograph upon the enclosed slip for her collection. That's so cute. <laughs> it was the regular stock application that truly distinguished men receive in every mail. The only thing to distinguish it from other applications was the beauty of the seal on the fly of the envelope, which attracted his passing notice and was then filed away with the other letters of similar import. Ho <laughs> ho! Quoth Holmes, as he compared the two impressions, <laughs> as he compared the two impressions and discovered that they were identical, an innocent little maiden who collects autographs and a retired missionary in possession of the Dorrington Seal, eh? Well, that is interesting. I think I shall run down to Goring straightly over Sunday and meet Miss Marjorie Tattersby and her reverend father. I'd like to see what style of people I have entrusted my autograph. To decide, mm. yeah, 
To decide was to act with Sherlock Holmes, and the following Saturday, hiring a canoe at Windsor, <laughs> he made his way up the river until he came to the pretty little hamlet snuggling in the Thames Valley, it, if such it may be called, where the young lady and her good father were dwelling. <laughs> I love these. Just like, let me hop in my canoe, go to run an errand. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, I mean... This was still a time when when travel by rivers was a lot faster than yeah. travel by roads to some places. So like, and yeah, it, I'm gonna always, go hop in it, a canoe. It always sounds so fun in a story too. It reminds me of there was an episode of Arthur where like the whole like PS one eighteen was flooded for some reason, or like the whole town was flooded, and they were like swimming through the streets or like canoeing through the streets, and it was just like mm-hmm. it looked so fun. I was like, I want to float down my street on like a a broken school door and just like. <laughs> But it would actually suck in real life, I'm sure. <laughs> well, yeah, it'd probably be cold and wet. And... Um, okay, so they he went to their little hamlet that is snuggling in the Thames Valley. Yeah. Where the young lady and her good father were dwelling. Fortune favoured him in that his prey was still there, both much respected by the whole community. The father, a fine-looking, really splendid specimen of a man whose presence alone carried a conviction of integrity and a lofty man. The daughter... Well, to see her was to love her, and the moment the eyes of Sherlock fell upon her face, that great heart of his that had ever been adamant to beauty, a very Gibraltar against the wiles of the other sex, went down in the chaos of a first and overwhelming passion. So hard hit... Oh, I love it. So hard hit was he by Miss Tattersby's beauty that his chief thought now was to avert rather than to direct suspicion towards her. After all, she might have come into possession of the jewel honestly, though (laughs) how quickly he changes that tune. (laughs) Though how the daughter... She's too pretty to be a criminal. Right, exactly. Though how the daughter of a retired missionary, considering its intrinsic value, could manage such a thing was pretty hard to understand. And he (laughs) fled back to London to think it over. (laughs) He couldn't even confront her. He's like, I'm out of here. She's too pretty. I can't handle it. Arrived there, he found an invitation to visit Dorrington Castle again, incog. Incognito? Is that short for incognito? It just says incog, I-N-C-O-G. Probably? Yeah. I would assume. Here, let me look up and see if it... Oh, he's he's going undercover. Having one's true identity concealed. He's going undercover. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Like, come back and... and disguise who you are yep because we're gonna have you look into what might have happened people are more likely to talk to like the horse groom from the stable than to right. mr sherlock holmes yes exactly his fame is such a burden Oi. <laughs> <laughs> well i suppose if you're trying to act as like a secret detective oh no yeah you don't actually it's actually you kind of fame, messed up if you became famous fame really is fame right. really is problematic yeah <laughs> It's hard to hang on to the private part of private investigator. Right. He's not a very good PI. He's a, well, he is a PI. He's a public investigator. <laughs> yeah. Lord Dorrington was to have a mixed weekend party over the following Sunday, and this, he thought, would give Holmes an opportunity to observe the characteristics of Dorrington's visitors, and possibly gain, therefore, some clue as to the, <laughs> clue is spelled C-L-E-W. <laughs> Some clue (laughs) as to the light-fingered person from whose depredations his lordship had suffered. (laughs) The idea... Raffles has a flair for the dramatic. He really does. The idea commended itself to Holmes, and in the disguise of a young American clergyman whom Dorrington had met in the States, the following Friday found him at Dorrington Castle. Well, to make a long story short, said Raffles Holmes, the young clergyman was introduced to many of the leading sportsmen of the hour, and for the most part they passed muster, but one of them did not, and that was the well-known cricketer A.J. Raffles. For the moment Raffles entered the room, jovially greeting everybody about him, and was presented to Lord Dorrington's new guest, Sherlock Holmes recognized in him no less a person than the Reverend James Tattersby, retired missionary of Galling Street Leon Thames, and the father of the woman who had filled his soul with love and yearning of the truest sort. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. The problem was solved. Raffles was, to all intents and purposes, caught with the goods on. Holmes could have exposed him then and there had he chosen to do so, 
But every time it came to the point, the lovely face of Marjorie Tattersby came between him and his purpose. How could he inflict the pain and shame with the expo which the exposure of her father's misconduct would certainly entail upon that fair woman, whose beauty and fresh innocence had taken so strong a hold upon his heart? No, that was out of the question. Wow, I did not expect this to turn into such a romance. <laughs> I love I suppose, it. I mean, if this is, I, I guess he's telling the story of how his parents met. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. The thing to do, clearly, was to visit Miss Tattersby during her father's absence, and if possible, ascertain from just how she had come into the possession of the seal, before taking further steps in the matter. He's like, let's stall. <laughs> this he did, making sure, to begin with, that Raffles was to remain at Dorrington Hall for the coming ten days, Holmes had himself telegraphed for and returned to London. There, he wrote himself a letter of introduction to the Reverend James Tattersby on the paper of the Anglo-American Missionary Society, a sheet of which he secured in the public writing room of that institution, armed with which he returned to the beautiful little spot on the Thames where the Tattersby abode. Crafty, crafty. <laughs> he spent the night at the inn and in conversation with the landlord and boatman learned much that was interesting concerning the Reverend James. Among other things, he discovered that this gentleman and his daughter had been respected residents of the place for three years, that Tattersby was rarely seen in the daytime about the place, that he was unusually fond of canoeing at night, which he said gave him the quiet and solitude necessary for that reflection which is so essential to the spiritual being of a minister of grace, that he frequently indulged in long absences, during which time it was supposed that he was engaged in the work of his calling. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He appeared well, to be. <laughs> I mean, not wrong. I'm sure he is engaged in the work of his yep, calling. Yep. His calling he, just ain't the Jesus calling. The Lord. <laughs> he appeared to be a man of some, but not lavish, means. The most notable and suggestive thing, however, that Holmes ascertained in this conversation with the boatman was that at the time of the famous Cliveden robbery, when several thousand pounds worth of plate had been taken from the Great Hall, that later fell into the possession of a well-known American hotel keeper, Tattersby, who happened to be on the river late that night, was, according to his own statement, the unconscious witness of the escape of the thieves on board a mysterious steam launch, which the police were never able afterwards to locate. <laughs> <laughs> they had nearly upset his canoe with the wash of their rapidly moving craft as they sped past him after having stowed their loot safely on board. Tattersby had supposed them to be employees of the estate and never gave the matter another thought until three days later when the news of the robbery was published to the world. He had immediately communicated the news of what he had seen to the police and had done all that lay in his power to aid them in locating the robbers, but <laughs> all to no purpose. <laughs> oh, man, oh, shucks. Just couldn't find that fast boat. Jeez, I was really hoping I'd be it. able to help you guys find this really fast boat. Yeah, ooh, Nelly. With a whole bunch of people yeah. who definitely aren't me on yeah. board. It totally splashed me as it passed by. There's proof. Irrefutable. <laughs> See, I'm wet. Yeah. <laughs> as he pours a water bottle in himself. See? <laughs> <laughs> From that day to the... Blah, blah, blah. From that day to this, the mystery of the Clive Den plot had never been solved. The following day, Holmes called at the Tattersby cottage and was fortunate enough to find Miss Tattersby at home. His previous impression as to her marvellous beauty was more than confirmed, and each moment that he talked to her she revealed new graces of manner that completed the capture of his hitherto unsusceptible heart. Miss Tattersby regretted her father's absence. He had gone, she said, to attend a secret missionary conference at Pentwillicod in Wales <laughs> and was not expected back for a week, all of which quite suited Sherlock Holmes. Oh, so, uh, secret, hey. mis secret so, missionary conference. So, uh, hey, I hear your parents are out of town for a week. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I love it. She said, my dad's not also, even home. Ooh. Ooh. Also, Pent Willie Cod. So cute. 
Come on. <laughs> Pent, Pent Willy caught cute. I know. That sounds downright euphemistic. Pint Willy caught. Boo boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So, all of this quite suited Sherlock Holmes. Convinced mm-hmm. that, oh yeah, then. <laughs> Convinced that after years of waiting, his affinity had at last crossed his path, he was in no hurry for the return of that parent, who would put an instant quietus upon this affair of the heart. <laughs> <laughs> Manifestly, the thing for him to do was to win the daughter's hand and then intercept the father, acquaint him with his aspirations, and compel acquiescence by the force of his knowledge of Raffle's misdeed. Hence, instead of taking his departure immediately, he remained at the Goring Streetly Inn, taking care each day to encounter Miss Tattersby on one pretext or another, hoping that their acquaintance would ripen into friendship and then into something warmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nor was the hope of anyone. Irene Adler's gonna be pissed when she hears about this. <laughs> oh yeah, true. She's in another, uh... It's like Marvel. She's in another dimension. She's in an alternate yeah, universe. Yeah, it's a parallel universe. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have a I have a thing about that to talk about when we're done with the story. Oh, cool. Nor was the hope a vain one, for when the fair Marjorie learned that it was the visitor's intention to remain in the neighborhood until her father's return, she herself bade him to make use of the old gentleman's library to regard himself always as a welcome daytime guest. Oh, she said, daytime guest, buddy. Daytime. <laughs> when hey, the sun goes down, you better be out. <laughs> you can have just as much fun in the daytime. It's true. Afternoon delight. Mm-hmm. Boo! Okay. Boop. <laughs> Boop. <laughs> Thank you. She even suggested pleasant walks through the neighboring country, little canoe trips up and down the Thames, which they might take together, of all of which Holmes promptly availed himself, with the result that, at the end of six days, both realized that they were designed for each other, and a passionate declaration followed, which opened new vistas of happiness for both. Aww. Hence it was that, when the Reverend James Tattersby arrived at Goring Streetly the following Monday night, unexpectedly, he was astounded to find sitting together in the moonlight, in the charming little English garden at the rear of his dwelling, two persons, one of whom was his daughter Marjorie, and the other a young American curate to whom he had already been introduced as A.J. Raffles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have met before, I think said Raffles coldly as his eye fell upon Holmes. I, uh, do not recall the fact, replied Holmes, meeting the steely... Oh, wait, Holmes is pretending to be American, right? Yes, he is. I, er, do not recall the fact, replied Holmes, (laughs) meeting the steely stare of the homecomer with one of his own flinty glances. Hmm, ejaculated Raffles. Yay! Wow! Yay, check off your bingo card, listeners. If you had ejaculated on (laughs) this week's bingo card. Wow, Holmes must be a good-looking guy as an American clergyman. Immediate ejaculation. Immediate. That American accent plus his looks, done. Yeah. The poor daughter is scarred for life now, but whatever. Well, no, she's probably probably looking at her dad like, yeah, I get it. I get it, I get it. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Especially Especially if he's doing this American accent. You know, if he's doing the, the yeah, like. he's doing the. Oh, have he, you seen? Doing, have you he's seen? He's doing the Hugh Jackman Wolverine. Yeah. And that's, that's his, yeah. Have you seen The Power of the Dog? No. It's nominated for all these Oscars, but it's Benedict Cumberbatch doing that, like, deep, gravelly cowboy accent. And it's so hot. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. I get it, Raffles. Hmm. Ejaculated Raffles, nonplussed at the other's failure to recognize him. Then he shivered slightly. Oh, this is so erotic. Suppose suppose we go indoors. It is a trifle chilly out here in the night air. The whole thing, the greeting, the meeting, Holmes's demeanor and all, was so admirably handled that Marjorie Tattersby never guessed the truth never even suspected the intense, dramatic quality of the scene she had just gazed upon. (laughs) He said, it was drama, Mama. It was drama. (laughs) 
Oh, and it, because this is Sherlock Holmes, the world's greatest consulting detective, and A.J. Raffles, yeah. um, gentleman thief, both dressed as clergy. Right. They're both <laughs> pretending to be priests. That is a dramatic scene. <laughs> I love it. Yes, let us go indoors, she acquiesced. Mr. Dutton has something to say to you, Papa. So I presumed, said Raffles dryly. And something that were better said to me alone, I fancy, eh? He added. Quite so, said Holmes calmly, and indoors they went. Marjorie immediately retired to the drawing room, and Holmes and Raffles went at once to Tattersby's study. Well, said Raffles impatiently when they were seated, I suppose you have come to get the Dorrington seal, Mr. Holmes. Ah, you know me then, Mr. Raffles, said Holmes with a pleasant smile. <laughs> All right, so we can stop pretending now. Cool, yeah, cool, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Perfectly, said Raffles. I knew you at Dorrington Hall the moment I set eyes on you, and if I hadn't, I should have known later, for the night after your departure, Lord Dorrington took me into his confidence and revealed your identity to me. <gasps> Dorrington ratted on him? Damn. Dorrington ratted on him not knowing he was ratting on him to the person that he brought him he there to investigate. To find, right, exactly. Dorrington's a dumbass. He doesn't Dumb. deserve the seal back. Dummy, dummy. <laughs> I am glad, said Holmes. It saves me a great deal of unnecessary explanation. If you admit that you have the seal, but I don't, said Raffles. I mentioned it a moment ago because Dorrington told me that was what you were after. I haven't got it, Mr. Holmes. I know that, observed Holmes quietly. It is in the possession of Miss Tattersby, your daughter, Mr. Raffles. She showed it to you, eh? demanded Raffles, paling. No, she sealed a note to me with it, however, Holmes replied. <gasps> a note to you, cried Raffles. <coughs> yes, one asking for my autograph. I have it in my possession, said Holmes. <laughs> and how do you know that she is the person with... No, and how do you know that she is the person from whom that note really came? Raffles asked. Because I have seen the autograph which was sent in response to that request in your daughter's collection, Mr. Raffles, said Holmes. S so that you conclude, Raffles put in hoarsely. I do not conclude. I begin by surmising, sir, that the missing seal of Lord Dorrington was stolen by one of two persons, yourself or Miss Marjorie Tattersby, said Holmes calmly. <laughs> "'Sir!' roared Raffles, springing to his feet menacingly. Sit, oh, "'Sit down, please,' said Holmes. "'You did not let me finish. "'I was going to add, Mr. Tattersby, "'that a week's acquaintance with that lovely woman, "'a full knowledge of her peculiar... "'A full knowledge... "'Wow, he got to know her that well, huh?' "'He said... "'A full knowledge of her... Why can't I say this word? <laughs> okay, okay. You did not let me finish, says Holmes. I was going to add, Dr. Tattersby, that a week's acquaintance with that lovely woman, a full knowledge of her peculiarly exalted character and guileless nature, makes the alternative of guilt that affects her integrity clearly preposterous, which, by a very simple process of elimination, fastens the guilt beyond all peradventure on your shoulders. At any rate, the presence of the seal in this house will involve you in difficult explanations. Why is it here? How did it come here? Why are you known as the Reverend James Tattersby, the missionary at Goring Streetly, and as Mr. A.J. Raffles, the cricketer and man of the world at Dorrington Hall? To say nothing of the Cliveden plate. <laughs> Damnation! roared the Reverend James Tattersby again, springing to his feet and glancing instinctively at the long, low bookshelves behind him. To say nothing, continued Holmes, calmly lighting a cigarette. <laughs> I love it. He's like, I'm just going to ignore you. When you're um, ready. When you're ready, <laughs> right. To say nothing, continued Holmes, calmly lighting a cigarette, of the Cliveden plate now lying concealed beneath those dusty theological tomes of yours, which you never allow to be touched by any other hand than your own. Ooh. I'm very impressed with Holmes right now. He, wow. 
He knows his stuff. How did you know? Cried Raffles hoarsely. I didn't. <laughs> Laughed Holmes. You have only this moment informed me of the fact. <laughs> I love when I love Smooth. when people do that. I love that. Oh, you just told me. <laughs> there was a long pause during which Raffles paced the floor like a caged tiger. I'm a dangerous man to trifle with, Mr. Holmes, he said finally. I can shoot you down in cold blood in a second. Oh, my God. Get right Ooh. to it. Very likely, said Holmes, but you won't. It would, add to the, it would add to the difficulties in which the Reverend James Tattersby is already deeply immersed. Your troubles are sufficient, as matters stand, without your having to explain to the world why you have killed a defenseless guest in your own study in cold blood. Well, what do you propose to do? demanded Raffles after another pause. Marry your daughter, Mr. Raffles, or Tattersby, whatever your permanent name is. I guess it's Tattersby in this case, said Holmes. I love her and she loves me. Perhaps I should apologize for having wooed and won her without due notice to you, but you doubtless will forgive that. It's a little formality you sometimes overlook yourself when you happen to want something that belongs to somebody else. What Raffles would have answered, no one knows. He had no chance to reply, for at that moment, Marjorie herself put her radiantly lovely little head in at the door with a, May I come in? And a moment later, she was gathered in Holmes's arms, and the happy lovers received the Reverend James Tattersby's blessing. They were married a week later, and as far as the world is concerned, the mystery of the Dorrington seal and that of the Cliveden plate was never solved. Oh, that's so nice. So he said, give me your daughter. And, uh, and I'll let you off the hook. I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut. <laughs> so he blackmailed his way into marriage. It's so romantic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, goals. Okay. If there are any, uh, if there are any listeners who want to sweep me off my feet with a proposal like this, you know, let's let's arrange it. <laughs> Did you just invite one of our listeners to come to your house and blackmail your father? Huh? You know, I, I didn't really, th- I didn't really think it all the way through, but uh, I guess I, I guess I did. <laughs> I'm swept well, up in the romance of the story. Okay, leave my they, dad they alone. They do say they do say blackmail is the most romantic of felonies. Yeah, of all the males. <laughs> of all the males. <laughs> no, email's more romantic. Send me a nice Gmail. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> So, the the mystery of the Dorrington seal and that of the Cliveden plate were never solved. It is compounding a felony, Raffles, said Holmes after the wedding. But for a wife like that, hanged if I wouldn't compound the Ten Commandments. (laughs) (laughs) I hope, I ventured to put in at that point, that the marriage ceremony was not performed by the Reverend James Tattersby. <laughs> Not on your life, retorted Raffles Holmes. I have forgotten if our narrator is American or not. I don't know. It's been so long since the other our, guy. Our was narrator, here. our narrator <laughs> Jenkins, is American. They're in America, and his butler was like took a ride to Philadelphia. Okay, okay, right, right okay, okay. I got it. So, so our narrator Jenkins is American. Yes. Okay, so let me go back. I hope. Uh, mm. I hope, <laughs> so confusing. Okay, I hope, I ventured to put in at that point, that the marriage ceremony was not performed by the Reverend James Tattersby. Not on your life, retorted Raffles Holmes. My father was too fond of my mother to permit of any flaw in his title. A year later I was born, and, well, here I am. Son of one, grandson of the other, with hereditary traits from both strongly developed and ready for business. I want a literary partner, a man who will write me up as Bunny did Raffles and as Watson did Holmes, so that I may get a percentage on that part of the swag. (laughs) I love that the word (laughs) swag is so old. I offer you the job, Jenkins. Those royalty statements show me that you are the man, and your books prove to me that you need a few fresh ideas. (laughs) Ooh, burn. (laughs) Come, what do you say? Will you do it? My boy, said I enthusiastically, don't say another word. Will I? Well, just try me. 
And so it was that Raffles, Holmes, and I struck a bargain and became partners. The end. Yeah. Yay! I love <laughs> it. What a great setup for all the other adventures. Yeah, that's a fun one. And we that got a whole so a whole book of of the adventures that come after that one. That is very cute. Well, and that that ending, that mysterious like, and as far as the world knows, those crimes were never solved, wink wink, was very much yeah. like the one that we read where the alien had like sent them a piece of paper that just said the name of the city and there was like a yeah. you remember that? And there was like a robbery yep. there that no one had ever solved and the alien was just like that was me. It was so so cheeky. <laughs> so fun. Yeah. Uh, so um, I mentioned, I think, partway through the story that I have I have just a couple of quick fun facts that I want to I want to comment on now that the story's over. Oh, please. Um, so fun facts. Part two. Uh, Raffles Holmes this is the son of Sherlock Holmes by Marjorie Raffles or Tattersby. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the daughter of Gentleman Thief, A.J. Raffles. Some people have tried to reconcile the existence of Raffles Holmes with the canonical timelines of Sherlock Holmes and A.J. Raffles for mm-hmm. the sake of the Wald-Newton family. Okay. The, the Wald-Newton family, which I believe I've briefly touched on before, is an effort by science fiction writer Philip Jose Farmer to unify the mythologies of several classic works of fiction, including Tarzan, Doc Savage, Sherlock Holmes, A.J. Raffles, Arsène Lupin, The Scarlet Pimpernel, The Time Traveler from H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, The Shadow, and James Bond, to name just a few so it's this this world this sort of literary universe in which all of these characters exist in the same timeline oh that's fun i love when people do that with pixar movies they're like you know tarzan's parents were actually like elsa's aunt and uncle or something and like they're all somehow connected yeah um, so, anyway, according to this theory, Holmes would have married Marjorie in 1883. For diehard fans of the Holmes canon, that would be right around the time of the events of the story The Adventure of the Speckled Band. And it is likely that she died giving birth to Raffles Holmes later that year. Aww. Uh, also, since Raffles and Holmes are contemporaries, it has been suggested that Marjorie was not, in fact, Raffles' daughter, but his sister, who was a bit younger, and that they were in it together, um, like, playing oh. father-daughter to add to this sort of, oh. you know, the, the, their, their deep cover. Weird. Um. Yeah, anyway, I just I wanted to throw out those little tidbits because I thought that was no, that was interesting fun. about this character who's entered yeah. um <laughs> several was... other people's canonical timelines. Right. Oh, that was great. That was really fun. Yeah, it was Thank a good one. Thank you. And uh, sorry, listener, if it was confusing who was speaking because there was so much narrating within narration that I was like, wait, I can't remember anymore if like the main person speaking is the is British or American. <laughs> And then yeah. there was the undercover, like, Brits disguising themselves as Americans within the story, within the story, that I was just like, wait, Benedict Cumberbatch, what? What's happening? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> um, I, uh, for for a few years, I worked as um, a, a helper, uh, a Dickensian villager in the Macy's Christmas Village in Philadelphia. That's right. You tell and me about this. I would... Um, <laughs> And I would, uh, not everyone would play this game, but I would go out and I'd do sort of a, um, uh, an English accent, a sort of, oh, hello, welcome, uh, welcome to Macy's Christmas Village. Uh, yeah. Santa Claus is right this way. I hope you have a happy Christmas, you know. You gotta, you gotta, yeah. Do, do, do a bit of an accent. Um, and occasionally I would have people ask me where I was from and I'd make something up and they'd be like, oh, so you're, you're really from... England and I'd be like, well, yeah, you know, really from the UK, and they'd be well. So that's your real accent, and I, I'd be like, yeah, that's my real accent, and 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 they'd say, well, can you do an American accent? <laughs> and so I would then, I'd, I'd I'd go from from the sort of Dickensian villager of oh right this way, you know, let me know if there's anything I can get for you to oh sure I can do an American accent. I've been working on it while I've been here. Uh- you reversed it for him. <laughs> so I was I was playing I was playing an English person playing an American person. That is very fun. 
And I feel like that's one of the ultimate actor validations is when you can pull the wool <laughs> over someone's eyes with regard to it. A British accent, because it's easy to do a bad one. <laughs> well, and what's great about um, hanging out in the United States is that um, most people don't know any better. It's true. So <laughs> I probably was doing a very bad one um, yeah. at the time. I was probably doing a very bad one just now, too. But I was probably doing a very bad one at the time. And just, the, you know, right. if you're not used to hearing it, you don't know any better. It's true. It might not hold up in England, but it holds up at yeah. Macy's. <laughs> Yeah, it holds up at the Macy's Dickens Christmas Village. Uh, so, what did you think of that story, listener? Did you have fun? Would you like to continue hearing the continuing stories of Raffles Holmes and Mr. Jenkins, his his standby author? Yeah. Uh, if you would, let us know. Shoot us a message at any of our social media. Campfire Classics is on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can also track us down at campfireclassicspodcast.com or on our link tree. All that stuff is is up. Or you can shoot us an email to uh, 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. If and when you message us, uh, please include in your message this week's secret passcode, which is gaping white hole. Oh, my. Oh, oh my. (laughs) (laughs) It never said gaping. (laughs) I I think you did say. I think you said, so in the middle of my puzzle, there are two gaping white holes. Oh, that's not from the story. That's me. I'm that's I'm the yeah. source of this this horror. Okay. Well, yep. I have no one yeah, but myself one, to blame. This one is all your fault. Oh man. <laughs> uh so yeah, shoot us that message. If you haven't already, please do uh subscribe to this podcast. It helps us. We like it when our subscriber numbers are up. Um also, if you haven't, leave us a review on like Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or Podbean or wherever it is you're listening to this podcast um, because good reviews also help us reach new listeners and that would be super helpful to us here who are trying to keep you entertained every Tuesday like we do. Um, Very much obliged to you. Uh, Emily, anything before we sign off? No. See you next time, friends. And until then, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Woo woo!